Hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening in. Welcoming all of you once again to our series of expert interviews called Financially Speaking with established individuals in finance who've broken myths about the complications and have carved their own niches making finance work for them. Today we have with us and it gives me so much joy to welcome Lisa Raish, CPA MST. Lisa is the CFO at Viser, a technology service-based online marketplace platform, which is sort of like an advice as a service platform for women in business and career to connect with on-demand experts. In addition to that, Lisa is also the principal at Bodhi Business Advisors, the most unconventional CPA firm you've ever encountered by design. Lisa's clients range from young businesses trying to achieve their first million dollar year to seasoned businesses making upwards of $10 million in annual revenue. Lisa is passionate about helping small business owners and entrepreneurs grow by improving cash flow and accountability. So Lisa, it's amazing to have you with us today and just talk about what, you know, having bright people in finance is what, you know, <laughs> I'd like to tell people about that, you know, it, it's not mundane. It's very, very interesting. You just have to sort of have the right people there. So before we sort of start, Lisa, could you tell us about how you ended up doing this master's in science and taxation, which is so fascinating. And, and what is your journey of 20 years in accounts been like? Uh, well, thank you for having me, Neha. This is wonderful. Um, so I didn't necessarily take the direct journey out of high school. Um, I actually went to college straight out of high school to be an architect. Um, but like many, many students in this country, I went for a couple of years and I ran out of money. And so I came home, worked for the next three or four years, working a full-time job and Somewhere in that, I realized I absolutely had to get out of that grind because, and go back to school because I was just going to really just, I had gotten into that. I was making a decent paycheck. I had a car. I had a little bit of money to spend. And so I had just kind of gotten into that cycle. Um, I had a friend's mother who said, why don't you just go to school for accounting? You'll always have a job. And honestly, I had no idea what I was going to do with zero idea what I was going to do. And I thought, well, Okay, it'll give me somewhere to start, right? And I'll always have a job. Um, kind of fell in love with it. I enjoy it. Um, got in a couple of years, started to really enjoy the tax side of it. So when I graduated from undergrad, I decided that instead of getting an MBA like uh, a lot of the other traditional accountants were getting, I was going to get a master's of science in taxation uh, versus the MBA. Things have changed a lot since I, I got my master's degree. Actually, one of the really kind of geeky things I geek out on is data. So had the, the data science has really been where they are today, I probably would have gotten my master's in data science. But I got my master's in taxation and, you know, it served me well over, you know, the last 10, 15 years. So. Wow, that's amazing. Look, from architecture to accounting, that is such a fascinating and unique journey. I haven't really met a lot of people who sort of delve into that. But that is the beauty of like, you know, getting into accounts and then sort of finding your way in, in the whole field. I think it's beautiful. And of course, it's rewarding. So the more time you spend and uh, another reason why I'm in fan finance is essentially because my of my love for numbers. So I found numbers fascinating. So yeah, it's sort of, that is wonderful to hear. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. 
So Lisa, tell us with your 20 years of experience as an accountant and a CPA, what is the biggest challenge you notice that people face with running their businesses or managing their personal finances? You know, what is it that you've encountered time and again? You know, you and I have talked about this. It's just, it's basic financial literacy, honestly. Um, I know here in the United States, we don't teach it in school. And so once you get a high school senior or a college senior who's going out for the first time working, possibly getting an apartment, they don't actually understand how to budget their personal lives. Kind of fast forward a little bit, take one of those students and now decides to open a business. They don't know how to budget their personal life and therefore they don't understand how to budget their business. And so where I find the biggest challenge is just that lack of financial knowledge basic understanding so that when they do in fact start their business and they start to get revenues in the door, understanding that just like your personal life, if there's only so much money coming in the door, you can only send so much out to pay bills. And so that's where I find a lot of business owners as well as individuals just get into really get into debt, credit cards, loans, those kinds of things. And it's scary when you do it as an individual, but now you've taken it on possibly as an indiv individual as well as a business owner. So now it's far scarier. You know, I've seen business owners uh, remortgage their homes to, yeah, to not the results that they were looking for. And so just getting another loan and another cash influx into your business isn't necessarily going to fix whatever challenges you have in it. And therefore, really that basic, there needs to really be a basic underlying, um, even if it was just some basic classes, if someone took like a couple of weeks of just basic financial classes to understand how to read a financial statement. You don't have to be an accountant to be a business owner, but just to be able to glean some basic information off for your financial statements so that you kind of understand the health of your business. And I will say one of the really great things that's happening now in business is that there are far more tools that you can use that tell you that help you with your KPIs and your metrics. And so you can look at the financial and non-financial data in in ways that are far easier for a non-accountant or a non-finance person to digest. Um, but you just have to be able to have the, that basic fundamentals so that you can you can make decisions about your business, honestly. Yeah, thank you so much for putting that across, you know, I, in fact, my next question was going to come at that, but because you already mentioned, what I feel is that, you know, a lot of people face uh, the challenge that they face is earning enough and just trying to just go and earn and not trying to manage it really well. So, like, you know, they don't really understand fundamentals of what taxation is like, you know, and how much should you actually push hard and at the end of the day, if you sort of, it's, it's going in the, in the wrong assets. So, what is it that you sort of, you know, some tips that you have for people trying to maneuver their taxation journey, especially for, for the listeners who are based out of the States and they're trying to, you know, earn paycheck to paycheck. So what are some of your tips, you know, which sort of can, which are useful and handy for entrepreneurs as well as like people who are, you know, trying to manage their personal finances, because I've also noticed that there's this struggle to pay rent, like, you know, fundamental things like, you know, I'm just going to wait and my rent is like behind and, you know, getting eviction orders and those kind of things. So how do you sort of, you know, what are some of your uh, innate tips that you sort of tell people around you? I think some of that is just, it's how we're brought up. If you saw a parent who was a saver, you're probably going to be a saver. 
Um, I personally had some financial challenges myself. My parents were not savers. And so that is not something that I learned. And so you, if you're learning that if you just throw the credit card down, if that's what people don't realize they're actually teaching that to their children. And so it's, well, I'll borrow, I'll borrow. I'll put it on a credit card I'll, instead of actually saving. So sometimes that, that aspect of it really becomes a full family journey. Family's got to be on board with say parents have to understand the parents want to be able to do that um, and then teach it to their children. That's a really big thing. The other thing that I run into with business owners when they get into business for the first time is there's a bit of a disconnect between what taxes a business owner pays and the taxes that an individual pays. And there's always this feeling that I'm paying more as a business owner. And to some extent, you may or may not be. But what happens, especially here in the U.S., is that when you get your paycheck, you're getting that paycheck after your employer took money out of it. They took money to pay your federal taxes, your state taxes if you're in a state with income tax. And they've also taken money and put it to the side for you on your behalf for Social Security. And what business owners don't understand because they don't see the back end of a business is that the 7.65% Social Security that comes out of your paycheck is actually matched by your employer. And so there's a total of 15.3% that goes to Social Security on your behalf on an annual basis. And what happens is when you become self-employed, which is what people typically do out of the gate, um, you file as a sole proprietor. So you file with a Schedule C on your tax return. That Schedule C outlines your income, your expenses, and there's a net number. And the net number on the bottom is what your Social Security is determined on. And so that net number on the bottom is multiplied by 15.3%. What you don't know when you work for somebody else is that that money is going to the side for you. You put some of it and your employer put some of it. Well, now as that sole proprietor, you as the individual are subject to that entire 15.3%. On top of the fact that whatever you had for net income on that Schedule C from your business, you're also taxed on for income tax purposes. So while the dollars might be a little bit more. The reality is you're probably paying close to what you paid when you worked for someone else, but you didn't see it that way. Somebody else took the money from you every two weeks. They sent the federal tax deposits off. And at the end of the year, when you received your W-2 and you file your tax return, that money was already allocated to you. So what happens is you now have this business owner who is blindsided by this monstrous number that honestly, I've seen some of them on clients' tax returns and it'll, it makes you choke. But if you really look at it, if you break it down and you look at what they were probably making working for someone else and what they're making working in their business, they're probably close to the same thing. And the actual tax dollars will be slightly comparable, but they don't see that. And then they're getting the entire dollar amount from the customer. What they don't realize is they need to be putting money to the side to pay taxes. And so that first tax year for many, many business owners is scary. That is a conversation that I as a CPA never want to have, but it's, it's, 
there's nothing that if they weren't prepared for it. So when I meet a new business owner, that's one of those things that I really outline. You have to put your own money to the side. Your employer did it for you for years. You have to do it for yourself now. And so they have to be disciplined to put that money to the side because that sometimes can be a very large sum of money. Again, if you were making $100,000 working for somebody else, you probably had a good $20,000, $25,000 a year that was going to pay your taxes. You never saw that money. Now, when you are working for yourself, you have to be disciplined to put that $25,000 for the year to the side to pay your taxes. And so it could be a really scare. That first year is really scary for people. And so they have to be well aware of it. And sometimes if you've like this year, many people have gotten into business out of necessity. They were probably downsized out of corporate America for whatever reason, couldn't go to work, started side hustling and doing their tax return this year could be really scary for some of them because they just didn't understand that one little fact. There are other things to understand, but that's a really big one. Well, thank you so much for highlighting that. I think I could sort of echo some of the sentiments here because a lot of things change. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes people see only what is visible to them. So, you know, what you see at your immediate disposal, that is what they sort of take it with. They don't really understand, you know, things that were sort of getting put aside. So I think, again, India has been like fundamentally a very saving oriented, savings oriented society. So we sort of put away money. But then again, like, you know, we keep telling time and again, people that it is important that you save at the beginning, save at the beginning, put it aside, you know, don't sort of just try to sort of save towards the end. And then you're like, okay, this is like a cycle, which is like, you know, you're not able to come out of. So, yeah, and yeah. that is so true. Thank you so much, Lisa, for putting that. So another aspect I noticed with entrepreneurs, and especially this has become more so in the in recent times due to COVID, is that businesses were doing well. Some of them were doing really, really well. So what they, what people did was they, they decided to venture into other arms and not really, you know, uh, understood how to manage and maneuver the cash flow. So how do you sort of put in what is coming from this side and stream it into that side? So have you noticed something similar? In fact, I was talking to a few people and, and, and you know, some businesses were in fact doing well, but because of lack of cash flow management, they're like, you know, in a topsy-turvy cycle right now. So what, what are some of the, what the challenges that you see and face and what are your recommendations? For a lot of owners, I've noticed that the economy that we had had in this country, which for the most part has been doing well over the last eight, 10 years, after we kind of came out of that 2008 market meltdown, for the most part, things have been going well. And so everyone almost took it for granted that that's always the way it was going to be. And so once we hit this pandemic, businesses closed, they cut down a you know partial business, um, trying to work from home, like all of that. What I think it did for a lot of businesses, it kind of just opened, you know, opened the robe on the ugly side of business that the positive economy had hidden for many people difficulties they had in their business that they had never really dealt with. And so now suddenly when the revenues aren't flowing and unfortunately for a lot of entrepreneurs, the feeling is that I just throw more business at it. I throw more deals at it. I throw more, you know, that'll fix my cash problem where they probably had 
far more underlying problems in their business. And this just like opened the curtain wide open. And so you've had a lot of business owners who've had to really think about not just potentially pivoting into another area in order to stay afloat, but just really rethinking how they do everything because it's not throwing more business isn't going to solve your cash flow problems. I've had this challenge with one of my clients and we'll just keep throwing, oh, I got to go get more deals, more deals, more projects, more projects. Well, there's far more, there's other underlying cash problems in the business that we're trying to deal with and just throwing more work at it doesn't solve it. And so I think for a lot of businesses that were probably running almost um, by luck up to this point. And so suddenly the revenues aren't consistently coming through the door and you've got to really rethink things. So I've had some of my clients that as we are rethinking how they're going to kind of enter back into their markets, um, you know, what else are we changing in the way they think about how they do business? And it's really been. I think for a lot of business owners, an eye opener in terms of across the board from cash flow to how much time they're spending in their business. What are they doing? Are they wasting their time? Like inefficiencies, all of those things. So while this period has been awful for most people, there are aspects of it I think that have been a positive. It's gotten people to rethink about their businesses and how they're going to attack them in the future. I have more clients that are open to efficiencies. So they're looking, what about this? Well, let's see if we can find you a software where we can shave a bunch of time off of this task you're doing manually. And so they're more open to those kinds of things as they realize the the pace they had been working at. It's not sustainable. Um, and it's really, there are things that they should be doing in their business and they shouldn't be doing in their business. You know, you are the owner, you shouldn't be answering the phone. Let's teach your team how to answer the phone properly just little things like that. But then they start to realize, wow, I have been actually working in my business all along. I've never worked on my business. So it actually gave some of my clients the opportunity to start to work on their business and really rethink things. So I took it with a lot of clients as a, I called it a forced opportunity and just really rethink a lot of what they were doing. And so that's what I had clients kind of walk out of this. And one of my clients went into the period and he had kind of just been doing well. And I call I don't want to call it skating, but had just been kind of on autopilot. And he had wanted to do some other stuff and he didn't do it. And so had he kind of teed that stuff up prior, he would have been in a different position during this. And so he was just like, okay, like I need to rethink about this. Like I'm doing well, I'm on autopilot. I let this opportunity that I had in front of me go because I was on autopilot and I was happy with the autopilot. And so he's starting to rethink how he's doing things. So some, again, the, the damage was far greater and digging out will be much more work because the hole is much deeper. Um, but I think it just gave a lot of them ways to really rethink how they did things and why they were doing things. And do I want to do this anymore too? No, that is something that even I've struggled with as an early stage entrepreneur. So around last year, like things were coming, opportunities were coming, and I was just like taking it, taking it, taking it. And this one point I realized that I only have 24 hours. So sometimes for an entrepreneur, time to rethink and re-strategize is so important because that is what is going to determine how your future is going to look like. So thank you so much for putting that across. It was 
it took me a while you know i was trying to do everything myself like from editing to like you know i can do it i'm good at it to sort of saying no let me just offload see how it goes let me just tell use that time for like other things so thank you so much for putting that across so lisa one of my final questions you're is, welcome you know, i i have a coach i i will tell you i i have a coach of mine not even kidding you this is his this is his thing he says um what are you saying if you're saying yes to this what are you saying no to and that's just your point of the 24 hours in a day if you're saying yes what are you saying no to and you have yeah. to really look at it that way yeah absolutely you know and that's where the opportunity cost comes in you know if this is working wow is it good for me in the short run or am i sort of giving away something which is going to be even bigger in the long run so that evaluation is what i sort of took over the winter break and i said you know okay so i'm going to focus my energy on these kind of things and you know that's how and then it's it's a little bit challenging i think mentally because we feel happy when things are sort of like going on autopilot so that that change is a little bit discomforting but i think it's it's really really useful in the long run so thank you so much lisa so lisa Definitely. you know you're a, you're a cfo for a women enabling tech platform you know tell us how empowering it has been to be a woman in finance you know and and have you had any challenges and how have you come out of it you know as a lot of times people in fact i'm mentoring a bunch of uh, students from oxford university and they keep out reaching out and say you know this is such a male dominated field and this is like now and you've been in the field for 20 years so what are some of your challenges that you faced and how empowering does it feel to be a woman in finance so i will say from that perspective i did get pretty lucky um the first the the first um Uh, practice that I worked for. Um I worked directly for one of the partners. I worked for the tax partner. Um he and I got along really well and he did teach me a lot. Um sadly the challenge I had in that firm was the female owner. Um unfortunately. Um and then the first the first, you know, controller job that I had out of public accounting, um I worked for a really great CFO and he taught me a ton about the business. Um I got like it's I got very lucky. I've heard the stories, you know, the little girl, you know, don't tell me little girl kind of a thing and so um I did get lucky from that perspective in that I have worked for some amazing um you know male bosses. After I left there, I went on and I worked for um a very large publicly traded US company and my boss was the US controller and you know she was a woman so that was nice to see it was nice to see that we had women in positions of power within the uh within the department it wasn't just the women in the department were the ap people or the ar you know it was you know just to see like those those supervisors and those managers um but now doing wise her it's great that we now have a chance to help these women because one of the things that I did notice when I left corporate and I started my own practice is I had never really gone out and networked prior to that so I started to go out and network and and meet people and you start to see the same people and you see the same people what seems like kind of cycling through the same cycles and just a lot of women not being able to kind of take that next step or be able to or whatever's going on in their personal world or in their business just not really being able to make that leap um and so when i started working with katherine and i saw all of the research that she had done on you know women and women in business and 
Um, 88% of the women in business in the United States do not gross over $100,000 in gross revenue. It's like, it's unbelievable. So there's about 12 or 13 million women-owned businesses in the U.S. Only 1% of those, what was it, 1.7% gross over a million in revenues. And so to be able to help women get to that next place, to be able to provide them with a resource to say, hey, I have a question on this or I've run into this issue on that. While the internet is filled with information, the internet is filled with information and there's so much to dig through. And you could be in there looking to have one question answered and be digging and down, down a rabbit hole and you end up down like a YouTube rabbit hole watching, you know, before you know it, eight hours later, you're watching cat videos. You never got the answer to your question. <laughs> you still need to have that question answered in your business. But, and so to be able to provide the service where you can, in fact, get on a call with an expert for 30 minutes or 60 minutes and say, okay, this is what's going on in my business. You know, I've been on calls with women who are just simple things. Should I be filing sales tax? Yes, you should be filing sales tax in the state that you're in. Let me provide you with the link where you're going to go and register. This is the information you're going to need when you register. You need to file, don't not file, you know, all of those things. And that was a huge weight off of her because that had been something that had been chasing her for a while. Was like, well, should I be doing this? When do I do it? How do I do it? And, and so, that was that one big thing she needed to get through and kind of check off her list at that moment in time. And so to be able to provide that service to women, not just with regard to accounting, but marketing and sales and, and so on and so forth. Um, Catherine had a wonderful call with a woman who everybody in the uh, one of her Facebook groups had said she needed to hire a salesperson. And then somebody popped up and said, you really need to have a call with Catherine. And she got on an hour long sales call with Catherine. And they walked through because she, this woman had the opportunity to get in front of a really big, like she had a really big opportunity with a very large company. She had no idea how to handle that sales meeting. She had never done that before because she had come out of the technical side of the business. She had left the technical side and moved in, started her own business and didn't know how to handle that sales call. She didn't need a salesperson to work in her business at that point. She needed to understand how to handle sales in her own business at that moment. Catherine taught her what she needed to walk into that meeting and close the meeting. And she did, and she closed the business. And so that's what that woman needed at that moment in time. She did not need to hire a salesperson for 100,000 US dollars a year, plus commissions and bonuses. She needed to know how to go in and close. Now she understands how to close. And really when you start your business, you should be your best salesperson. And then somewhere down the road, when, when it's appropriate, you bring that salesperson on and you teach them that business. But she didn't need a sales associate at that moment. She needed to know how to sell. And so that's what we provide. And that's why we are so proud of what we're doing because we are providing women with that opportunity to get the answers they need right now. You may wanna take a course on sales. Wonderful, take, your, take a course. You'll have videos and modules and read, and that's wonderful. Like if you wanna dig in and get that real deep knowledge, absolutely. She needed to know what to do when she walked into that meeting to close that business at that moment in time. And that's what we provide for these women. No, that is fundamentally amazing. You know, I've been on some of those calls and I think that it is, it is so vital because sometimes we struggle with 
with just that little thing, you know, it's just about that little one screw that sort of is needed to fix it. And then we'll sort of like all over with tools and everything and ammunition and you're not able to understand. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a powerful platform. It's a wonderful platform. I'm also on the platform. So, you know, this is for all those women who are seeking help come ask for it. So that is what is so important. Reach Absolutely. out. Yeah. So I'm going to put the link to Wiser here in, in, in the description to the video. So for people who are sort of like looking to get advice, this sure. is absolutely, yeah, please reach out to Wiser and the, and the amazing experts they have. So thank you, Lisa, for your time as we sort of wrap up. What are some of, you know, some geeky movies, books, what has been like, you know, sort of empowering some quote in finance, which is sort of like, Sometimes even if you look at it on, on your phone or on Pinterest or something, it brings a smile to your face and it sort of makes your day to sort of push harder in the field of finance. So what is that one book or quote been? I, I, I always recommend um, clients read a, a book called Profit First. Um, okay. It is written by a gentleman by the name of Mike McCallowitz. And Profit First is pretty basic in its principles. Um, he's taking the, taking your grandmother's envelope system, you know, you, grandpa would come home, bring his check home to grandma, you know, with the money, grandma would put the money, the rent money in one or the mortgage money, the food. And he's adapted that to in a business setting. And while it may sound hokey, it actually really does work. Um, I use it in my business and for clients that are struggling with cash, that's one of those things that I use as a tool because it is so powerful in its simplicity. I think people think that finance and accounting is this scary, you know, Jason, Freddy Krueger in the closet kind of a thing. You know, the scariest, like creepy creature on the planet, like lives in the closet. That's your business finance. And it's not. And so he's very humorous. He tells some funny stories about how he had sold, he sold, he sold his, what he felt was a profitable business. Um, and then over the next 18 to 24 months, uh, proceeded to lose all of that money because he became an angel investor. And he didn't actually know how to properly run a business. So he called, he, dubs him, he dubbed himself the angel investor of death. Basically, any, any investment he got involved with, he really never knew how to have a profitable business, which he didn't quite understand until he tried to help other people in their businesses. And so he was basically broke. I mean, there's a whole story about that, but it's a very simple principle and it works. And so I find that one to be, and it's kind of funny too. He's quite humorous. So it's an easy read. It's not, um, it's not a boring um, technical finance, like business book, like some of them, like they're just real. I mean, they'll tell, I mean, yeah, they make your eyes bleed. You're like, oh gosh, please. I can't read that. No, this is actually a pretty good, and the other one I enjoy reading is uh, the is, is the E-Myth. And I think that one is another must read for business owners because it really breaks it down. And, you know, in the story, it's pretty simple. You know, individual who loves to bake decides that her love for baking, she'll make it into a business. And, you know, a couple of years in, it's a nightmare. She's working 80 hours a week, not making any money, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of goes through all of that, what many people get into business because they have a passion for something or they have an idea or a passionate idea. And so it really, it walks you through that. There's just a very big disconnect between starting your business and running a profitable business, right? You may have an amazing skill set, but translating that into a profitable business are two very different things. So I find those to be 
great books. And I just find other, like as an accountant, when people kind of pick on accountants, you know, in, in movies and things like that, I, I think it's just quite comical because the, the typical accountant um, in these movies looks a specific way, talks a specific way. Um, so I personally am not like that. I actually have a very close circle of colleagues who we are nothing like that. So that's why those kind of things make us chuckle. Um, so yeah, those are the kind of funny things, you know, you see that, what is it? The, I think it's a Kia commercial. And he's like, oh God, what did you buy now? And you know, the, he's bought this, he thinks he's bought this expensive car. And there's just a kind of like a misconception about like what people, finance people are like that we're stuffy, we're boring. Um, you know, most of us, there are actually a, a group of us who aren't that way. And so I laugh at a lot of those things. I laugh at, you know, I see the H&R Block commercials come out at this time of the year, you know, as they've kind of spun what the typical CPA is like. And, you know, you know, was it my one of my bosses, uh, the joke was like, was it Dewey Cheatham and how like used to be the name, you know, the, the, the fake name of all the slick CPA practices that we're going to you know, help you deduct your cat as a dependent and stuff like that. And so I find that stuff very, very humorous because it's so far from the truth. Um, but again, you know, it's it's just humor in what most people find as a very scary subject or one they just don't even want to get within 10 feet of. They just, and sometimes that fear is really what cripples them in their businesses is that fear of their finances, that if they can just kind of overcome that, um, it makes it much more palatable but if you're afraid of it, like you're afraid of the boogeyman, then, you know, unfortunately, those are the things that will chase you in your business. They'll chase you. They'll chase you to the ground. And so you just have to be a little bit more open to having the conversations, um, getting the right professionals around you as a business owner. Um, prize that I have so many professionals in my network. And they're like, well, you're an accountant, you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm like, that's not my area of specialty. I have an insurance person that I reach out to. I have an attorney. Um, I have other CPAs that I refer people out to because that's not, you know, whatever is not my specialty. And so I have a circle of people around me that I can tap when I am in an area where it's out of my comfort zone and I don't know. Um, I'm not a financial planner. I have a planner I work with. And so people think, oh, well, you're an accountant. You can buy and pick and buy stocks. And like, no, that's not my area. I don't. And so there's this just general misconception about what people can and can't do. It's, it's just like an attorney. I would not, I would not have you call your cousin who's a real estate attorney to help you go through a business contract. Those are two totally different people. And so just understanding be open to having other people help you ask for help, get those professionals in your circle to support you because you cannot do it all by yourself. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Lisa, for putting that across. You know, there are so many times I have to tell people that accounts and finance are linked, but two separate subjects which need equal importance. They're of equal significance. So you sort of have to hire the right people for the right job. So thank you so much for putting that across. And thank you so much for your time. It was always You are very welcome. Wonderful talking to you and just discussing about, you know, the common love that we have for finance and accounts and just sort of like getting on our way, trying to, you know, emphasize on the fundamentals that sort of matter in the long run. So thank you so much for your time once again. And it was great having you.
Thank you. I do appreciate it. We, you just like I do not want to see people struggle. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people no longer struggle.